Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Hey, welcome to Project Recovery, a podcast about addiction. More importantly, it's about recovery. And it's brought to you by our friends at knowyourscript.org. Go check them out. A lot of great information there. I'm Casey Scott. That's Dr. Matt Woolley. He's a clinical psychologist. How are you? I'm good. Except for you guys stuck me with the broken chair again. Oh, you got the bum chair. Yeah, so I'm convinced this is what happens. Is Since I'm always the last one to show up, you guys all mess around. You find the one that's broken, so you sit sideways, and then you always stick it in my spot. Maybe you should come on time. Uh, that's probably... It's probably true. Yeah. Speaking on time, I'm always at the gym in between about 5.45 and 6.15 every morning. Wow, that's impressive. I start out with 30 minutes of cardio, and then I meet my buddies, and we either do a, you know push or pull, back or buy, tries, whatever it is. But this morning, I had to go a little bit early because uh, I had a meeting in Salt Lake. So I'm at the gym. I do my cardio. Everything's good. Uh-huh. It's leg day for me. So I'm sitting down doing some leg extensions. Sure. Two blondes walk up to me. This is, it's a true story. True story. Can you say that anymore? Two blondes? I don't know. They were. They were two blondes. They walk up to me. And, two blonde ladies? Yeah. Okay. And they look at each other and they're like, hey. And I go, hey. And they go, are you Casey Scott? And I went, yeah. And they go, my mom loves you. <laughs> Uh, yes. <laughs> and I was like, cool, tell your mom hi for me. <laughs> I love the veiled slam. Yeah. What a it's burn. Like, yeah, my mom used to watch you all the time when you were on TV. She loves you. She's gonna she's gonna die when she founds out I saw you at the gym. <laughs> I was like That's amazing. That's awesome. Uh and I had another awesome thing. How'd you I, feel about that though? No, I it, you, you know don't what, care. No, it makes my heart happy. Yeah, you know what I mean? It, right. it really does. And another thing that made my heart happy was uh so it was this past weekend. <laughs> Uh, I got my kids uh, passes to Snow Basin, and uh, I'm, I'm trying to teach them to ski. Right. And, and my older two daughters, they're pretty good skiers. Bowden's not really into it, but he's giving it a shot. And so I wanted to take them all up skiing on Sunday. So I go, hey, you guys ready to go skiing on Sunday? Uh, and everyone's like, ah, no, no. But I got one yes. And the yes was from my oldest daughter, Presley. Mm-hmm. And I thought, huh. Because I don't get a lot of one-on-one time, alone time with my oldest daughter. And many of you guys will know her. She's the one that wrote the letter. Probably the one that was most affected. She's the oldest, yeah. By my disease. Right. And so I thought, well, this is kind of cool. Caretaking her younger siblings. And you all know, and, and she was there for the divorce and remembers it. Like Bowden goes, like, I remember when you were drinking, Dad, but I'm not really sure. Not as much, yeah. Um, and so I was like, oh, this is cool. And so all of a sudden it's just me and Presley, and we're going up a day on the mountain. 
and um, we went skiing. We made some turns. We ate a whole big plate of loaded nachos. If you've ever had loaded nachos, they're actually fries up at Snow Basin. It's a base layer of French fries. It's multiple cheeses. It's sour cream. It's bacon bits. It's chive. I mean, it real. I mean, wow. You'd have to roll me down the mountain after that. I think. And, and me and her sat down and just ate them together, and we cleared the whole plate. Nice. And it was awesome. And then we went up and did a couple more runs. And I was thinking to myself, this is amazing because yeah. I'm getting this one-on-one time with my daughter who our relationship was pretty fractured because of my alcoholism. And we had a good time. And, and I was like, this is, this is cool. This is, this is great. And then we come home and we've got two hours before we got to move to the next party. So I, I do what I tell my kids. I go, you got two hours before we're ready to go. And uh, I go down and I lay on my bed. I pull up my minky. I turn on the criminal minds. I'm getting ready to take a nap. I like criminal minds. Yes, I know you do. Uh, you know, <laughs> so I'm going to watch my stories and I'm going to take a nap. Right. So I'm just getting ready to close my eyes. And all of a sudden, Presley walks in. She's got her minky. She hops on the bed, lays right next to me. Oh, that's awesome. And takes a nap. And yeah. I started crying. That's amazing. And because and I'm going to start crying now. And I was like, holy cow, man. And so I just closed my eyes and just snuggled her. And this is a 17-year-old girl. Yeah. And I was like, and I started to think. And the reason I cried because it was like, out of all the blessings that have come from my recovery, mm-hmm. that right there probably means more to me than anything in Absolutely. the world. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Because I let that poor girl down, and she's given me another chance, and I'll be damned if I mess this one up again. And so I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. And I actually called my ex-wife, and I was like, hey, guess what? And she goes, what? And I go, I took a nap with Presley. She goes, shut up. You did not. And I go, no, I really did. She came and laid next to me and we took a nap. And, 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 and Presley's not that kind of girl. So it just, it was amazing. She and, was feeling so, you know, connected with you as uh-huh. her dad skiing all day. And she didn't want that connection to, to end. And I think that's beautiful. And I was like, this, this was amazing. And so I just wanted to publicly say that, uh, Recovery is amazing, and yeah. it's possible, and you can get the things back that you value and love and you might have ruined. It, it is possible. It's not easy. Now, th- I've been sober over three years. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And we've had moments of hope and glimmer you know, through that. I mean, we've got a great relationship now, but nothing like that. So why do you, what felt different? Because you're right. You've shared a few positive experiences, and I think in general you have a very positive relationship with all three of your kids that mm-hmm. I – can tell um but seems like yesterday or sunday was a little different what was a little different about that i've wanted that for the past three years and i can't force that Mm. i think she was willing to let me have that if that makes sense and I think she felt safe and secure right. that she was not going to get hurt because she was there for a lot of the times when I said, I'm not going to do this or I was a jerk or I was a boisterous alcoholic a-hole. You know what I mean? Right. And she just knew where that was going to play out. I think yeah. she was like, OK. I Yeah, I, that's exactly what I was thinking is the difference probably that part of what you felt was it's not that you haven't had some good experiences with Presley and the other kids since getting sober. You certainly have. But they were sort of initiated mostly, you know, by you mm-hmm. as the dad. Like, hey, guys, let's go do this. Let's go do that. In that case, obviously, you said, hey, let's go skiing. But you had this beautiful day together skiing. And then she initiated 
the let's let's get our minkies take a nap watch some criminal minds together kind of stuff and that i think speaks volumes for where the relationship is at that she would want to at 17 years of age you know not not let the day end with dad i I think that's that that's a that's a wonderful sign of where that relationship is and i think she felt safe yeah yeah safe for sure you know and it was like safe connected yeah yeah so I, I Good mean, for you, man. recovery's just given me you know so what, many being blessings. A, being a parent is tough, right? <laughs> it is, man. Right? And uh, and and we really we really cherish those beautiful moments. And I think that uh, one of the things that I hear a lot, unfortunately, is when um, substance abuse and addiction becomes part of a parent's life, it almost always destroys or at least severely damages the relationship with their children. And to have that like you said, second chance to have that back is a wonderful thing. On the other side of that coin, my youngest son, Bowden, uh, he's 10. Uh, he, he's trying to work out more. He just wants to get in shape. He's got to get big. Yeah, you know, and so <laughs> he does this workout, and he wants me to do it with him every night. Oh. And I, I work out in the morning, and at 9 o'clock, I'm ready to go to bed. And He's he, ready to pump he some wants, iron? He wants to do the workout. And so he goes, Dad, I just it's better if you do it. And for the first couple of times, I tried to get out of it. And then I just go, you know what? This is, these moments aren't going to last forever. And right? So now me and yeah. him, when we race and we do push-ups, we do squats, we do burpees, and he's nice. beating me. And so I mean, my life is good. Yeah, that's great. Uh, we want to say thank you for stopping by and listening to the podcast. We've kind of got an important show today, I, kind of a special edition because of some things that have gone on in our community, and we wanted to figure out a way that we could use our show to address some of those things, talk about them. So we brought in our uh, resident young person. He's probably yes. the youngest person we've ever had on the podcast. He is, he is for sure. His name is Smith Alley. How are you, buddy? I'm so good. Now, how old are you now? So I'm 18 now, yeah. When oh. he came on the show first time, he was 17. Yeah, yeah and we mm-hmm. got in trouble because we didn't make him sign a waiver. Right, but you're not supposed to say that. Oh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, now, but they didn't get in trouble. No, they no, didn't no, get in trouble. No, no because your story is kind of, I mean, it's groundbreaking. At the age of 14, your parents found out you were addicted to pornography. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at 17, you came out to the community, your high school, your friends, the world, if you will, to talk openly about this. Yeah. Uh, now you've been in uh, recovery for four years, mm-hmm. uh, and you've actually done what I kind of did, and a lot of us who are in this industry try to do is make your mess your message. Yeah. And so now you go around and talk to church groups and talk to schools and talk to kids about uh, pornography, about addiction. Uh, is that all you talk to them about? No, it's a, it's a big scope. I mean, I think, you know, coming coming from my story – which you can listen to it, um, the, the episode that we did, it was last year in March, which is crazy that we're coming up on a year. Uh, but basically, I came from I came from this root of me, which in, when I was little, I had a stutter. And in first grade, I walked into the first day of first grade, and I was so pumped. Like, I, I had everything, and I had good friends. And in kindergarten, I'd gone to the, z- the zoo with this girl named Lauren. And in the backseat of her mom's minivan, she'd kiss me on the cheek. And so I was like high on life going going into first grade. You're flying high. That's yeah. big. That's everything's big coming up. Everything's coming up for yeah. Smith. So then I, I walk into the class and I sit down and my teacher comes in and she starts the class and we start to introduce ourselves one by one in front of the class. And I get up and I get all nervous and I have I have the stutter and I go, "Hi, my name's Smith." And I, I was just so embarrassed and so flustered and I sit down and I'm angry at myself because I 
I saw it as my opportunity to to give a good first impression to everyone in the first grade. And this girl turns around um, and looks at me in the eyes and she says, why can't you talk right? And that's that's where I stem everything that I went through. And it was so much more than than just pornography addiction. Yeah, I, I found love out of that. It was my drug of choice, we might say. Um, I found like connection and, and like we talked about, I just I just felt good, right? I, I felt good when I was looking at porn and I didn't feel good when I wasn't uh, because I'd had this experience. And that went on to lead to, you know, I got social media and I started comparing myself and I was always that like super big chubby kid. And so I, I got made fun of for that. Um, Would you say you were bullied quite a bit in uh, elementary school and junior high? You know, I think it changes, and I'm sure we'll get into this more uh, later, but I think bullying today has changed so much more because all it takes is the minuscule amount of exposure, and then you just become your own bully because we have all of these pressures coming in from social media and society and, and parental pressures. There's all these things pushing down on us, and so we just become the biggest bully of ourselves. And that's that's what I get out of it because I didn't want anyone to bully me about my size. So I'd, I'd bully myself. I'd make jokes. Self-deprecating. Yeah. And I I'd, I remember I have I have this friend that I grew up with and I'd walk around um, at, what was that? Recess. I'd walk around recess, fourth grade, and I'd put his coat on. And he was a lot smaller than me. And I'd sing the fat guy in a little coat. Uh-huh. And... I mean, all of those things, just becoming the bully of myself, that drove me not only deeper into my addiction with pornography, but also, and I don't know if I talked about this um, last time on the podcast, but also just with severe mental health issues um, and depression and anxiety. And in my eighth grade shop class, I I made a plan to take my life and I I was just waiting. This whole plan was was based on the fact that I I needed my parents to leave so that I could do it because I didn't want them to to, to find me. Mm -hmm. And- all of those things, they come from, from that one thing and it's a disconnection, I think. And it's once again, like not feeling good and not feeling loved. And so that's what I talk about in schools. You know, I have this foundation, the the live life bigger foundation that I go around and speak with. Um, and we just talk to kids about how they can spread more love, how they can be vulnerable with what they're dealing with. Because, uh, as one of my good friends says, our, our secrets keep us sick. Um, and so how, these these kids can open up about what's affecting them, how they can spread more kindness, um, how they can really dig into their potential. Because I honestly believe that my generation has the the capacity to touch more lives than any generation ever before, but we're not doing it. And I agree 100%. The reason we invited Smith Alley to uh, join the show today was because tragically, uh, about a week ago, we lost a young boy named Drake. Uh, to suicide uh, as a result of bullying. A very young boy, in fact, just 12 years old. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I mean, let that sink in. I mean, it's it's very tragic, and and um, unfortunately, it used to be sort of unheard of mm-hmm. that somebody that young would attempt and commit suicide or uh, complete suicide. And that's not unfortunately the case anymore, that uh, suicides around the country are being recorded amongst younger and younger people. And so it's a serious problem that, you know, we wanted to be able to address on the show. So thank you so much, Smith, for coming on because we're too – I work with young people uh, every day 
but I'm, you know, I'm of an older generation, obviously, and so is Casey, and um, and you're of the current generation, kids that are, you're literally still in school, and so we appreciate you coming in, and, you know, you have some expertise now because of the um, things that you do with Live Life Bigger, and, and I would definitely encourage people to follow you on Instagram. They might get lost in the sea of your thousands of followers, but that's okay. <laughs> Um, and and see what what you're doing uh, on a very very regular basis to promote positivity in your community, um, uh, but uh, also just as a person who's 18 and you're about you're you're in a transition period whether you realize it or not. I always talk mm-hmm. to people about school has three transition periods that are pretty stressful for kids. One is first grade, which you've already addressed today. That was a little bit rough transitioning into you know stand up, sit down, get in line, don't pull hair have to raise your hand to go to the bathroom, all that stuff. The next one's heading off to junior high because, you know, let's face it, elementary school, once you figure it out, it's pretty pretty chill with, you know, kind of the maternal classroom and all that stuff. But junior high is, you know, a jungle. It's crazy. Different classrooms. you got your own locker. Oh, you're in charge of your homework. Nobody it's never cares. The same teacher. Yeah, you got to get going, puberty, all that stuff. And then high school is like a better version of junior high. So most people are kind of relieved to head off to high school. But the third one is what you're doing right now which is graduating from high school. And unfortunately, it's kind of the silent one. All parents can can see the other two as kind of big transitions and stressful events. But most people just treat graduating as like a, a, a party, like a yeah. celebration, which it is. You know, it's a, it's a huge achievement. But a lot of people kind of under the surface are thinking, oh, no, like – I don't have that comfort of going to school this fall. Right. Well, you know, I'm excited, but I'm also a little scared. Mm-hmm. I, I remember uh, years ago, because I'm old, many years ago, I was talking to this kid who went to a local high school, and he was over six feet tall, good looking, just just handsome as can be, uh, had a football scholarship to a top school in the West, uh, and a full-ride academic scholarship. So he was smart. Good looking, extremely athletic. I mean, what else do you want, right? Right. Okay. He hit the lottery. Yeah. And he broke down crying in my office about maybe, say, April of his senior year because of his worry about am I going to measure up? The pressure. Am I going to be able to do this? Can I be an adult? Can I move out of state and go to school? And am I good enough to be on the football team? Am I smart enough to do well at this prestigious university? You know, so even um, this is maybe a little warning to parents out there. Even if your son or daughter seems to be having everything under control, pay attention to this time. It can be stressful. And so we're hoping that, Smith, you'll share some wisdom in your transition time and help maybe the adults who are listening understand what kids are going through these days when it comes to just social issues and bullying, because it is very different then I, I remember getting bullied as a kid, but it was literally punchy in the nose on the playground. Stuff. Or a wedgie. Or I never got a wedgie. Oh, but, I got lots of them. You know, but I, I do remember fights on the playground a little bit when I was younger and that sort of thing. And those are a bummer, of course, but they're one and done. Like it's kind of, it's, it's concrete. You can deal with it. It's right there in front of you. It's, you know, one to one or a few kids to one or whatever. So that's bad. It's not good. But man, the way bullying happens today, I I don't envy kids having to navigate that world. So thank you for coming on today. I appreciate it. Well, not to mention like the fact that when when you guys were younger, when you were in elementary school, 
you went home and the bullying stopped, right? But now every kid that goes to school, their bullies are at school, and then they take them home in their pocket. And and what could Can't be get worse? Away from it. Yeah, what could be worse than having your biggest bully, your arch nemesis, right there in your home? Um, and I just want to mention, like, with, with Drake's story, it's it is so tragic. But it is not the only one. And yes, his is the one that went viral and his, you know, there's a lot of coverage on it. And I know that his um, his mother has gotten a lot of love and support and messages. I think the post has three million likes now. Um, but it is not the only one. And it's not the only one with bullying. I mean, just about a year ago up in Farmington, we had a young autistic girl named Izzy who ended up taking her own life. And she was 10 years old. She was 10 years old. Yeah, and that that is one of the things that I I really am glad we're talking about this today because that is a trend that has we have to figure out how to stop that. Well, our good friend Rob Eastman says, and he put it on his post. Uh, he said, "We got to do better. Just plain and simple, we've got to do better as a society than than what's going on right now." I mean, I we suicide is just so tricky to talk about because. And I'm not saying this is right or wrong, but when we were young and somebody committed suicide, the common terms were like, that's a coward's way out. Or there was a lot of blame, a lot of blame, blame the victim. But now I see it as how bad is things for this person that this is their best option? I mean, how how horrible is it to live between their ears or in their life that where they think death is the best option? Let's have some empathy. Let's have some compassion. And let's figure out how this doesn't happen. I, I don't have the answers, but I know we need to do better as a community, as a society, as a world. No, I agree 100%. Um, in fact, um, one of the things that I would encourage people to do is is some self-education in places that are meaningful. So uh, I, I do like the social media for some things, but not for education. And so I would encourage people to visit a couple websites. Um, there's stopbullying.gov, mm-hmm. where it's full of practical information for parents, for teachers, and for kids. Uh, and it addresses the the new type of bullying, uh, cyber bullying that happens so frequently and is so kind of subtle but but dangerous. Um, and it talks about the relationship between bullying and mental health issues and suicide. Also, the CDC.gov has some very very good information along that. The reason I'm saying do some self education is there's a I think part of the reason we have younger people feeling more desperate, less connected. Uh, more depressed and considering suicide at younger ages is because we, the generation of adults that are there to raise and take care of and mentor these kids, don't understand what they're dealing with. My reference is, I remember when my, my buddy Richard, I was wearing, so my mom had sewn the coolest Batman Halloween costume of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was the old school 70s TV show Batman, you know, the gray and the yellow and all of that. And, of course, you had tights. And I was I, I was flying high. Like, I felt amazing, like, in this, this outfit, second grade, and I'm going to school. Well, I lived just down the street from the school. I'm walking over to the school, and I, I went around the back because I kind of wanted to, like, you know, be in my costume outside a little longer. And these older kids came, and they started teasing me for wearing tights. 
and chased me under the the playground and started punching me through the bars I was trying to hide. And all of a sudden, like a superhero, I wasn't acting like a superhero. Richard comes flying down. Now, Richard was about twice my size because I think Richard had been held back one or two <laughs> grades. But he was my buddy, and he came in and just clobbered all those guys and, and saved me. And I remember feeling scared uh, unless I was around Richard for a while. You know, I'd go to school, I'd hang around Richard, you know. And that was just such a little instance of bullying in my life. But that's my reference point, you know. And I've had other experiences like most people have, but they're concrete, they're one and done. They don't follow you home in your pocket like Smith is saying. And so I think we have children and adolescents who we don't know how to support because they're going through a completely different experience with bullying that is can be 24-7. You can't get away from it in your bedroom, at the dinner table. It's everywhere, and we don't know how to take care of them and help them with that unless we as adults get ourselves educated on what's going on. So stopbullying.gov is a great resource. And to go back and talk about young Dakota who tragically took his life about a week ago. Drake. Drake. He didn't want to tell his family how bad it was. Mm-hmm. He carried that by himself because he didn't want to let his family down. And he didn't, you know, I mean, and so a lot of these guys and these young kids are battling this in silence. Now, if you don't think there's a correlation between bullying and substance abuse, then you're naive. Because a lot of people who have sat down in the chair that Smith is in right now have said, hey, when I was in high school or I was in junior high, I couldn't, I didn't fit in. And it wasn't until I tried a substance or I tried a beer or I hung out with a partying crowd that I felt like I fit in. Well, you you need and want people, you know, just like I wanted to hang around with Richard for a while so that I could feel safe. Uh, If you're going to school by yourself and feeling lonely and awkward and out of place and you see the group of kids in the parking lot getting high and they say hi to you when you walk by, where do you want to go? I mean – it's much, you know, you're going to get high and feel good for a minute and you're going to have Insta friends. And man, that, that's, a, that's a temptation that most kids and adolescents can't say no to. And we're going to talk more with Smith in just a few seconds. You're listening to Project Recovery right here on KSL. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought... There are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Project Recovery. I'm Casey Scott. That's Dr. Matt Woolley. He's a clinical psychologist. Our guest today is Smith Alley. Uh, Smith, you're 18 years old. At 14, you came out to your parents and said you were addicted to pornography. At 17, you broke it to the world. Uh, 16. 16. 16. And you've never looked back. Yep. And you're actually making your mess your message. And you're kind of out there on the front line. How many schools do you think you talk to a month? Um, I'm probably in anywhere from four to five schools a month uh, doing assemblies, and then we usually have parent nights afterwards, and then I'm I'm speaking to other youth groups anywhere from five to ten times a month. When you have these parent meetings and you have these student assemblies, what is the reaction like of the parents and the students? I mean, 
the students are are a lot more it's it's kind of split honestly there's there's the kids who you can see it's touching um and you can see and even afterwards they come up and they talk about how how much they relate uh and then there's the kids who I relate to the most which are the kids who um try and try and hide from the pr- presentation because they don't want to admit that they're struggling with the same type of things and that's who I was when I was little and so the guys the, in the back making jokes yeah. or, or or just not paying attention because yeah. they don't want to admit that, that you're right they're yeah. dealing with the same or similar situations mm-hmm. and so I, I see a lot of that with parents um, it's a lot of just naivety is that how you say it naivete naivete I don't and know. so um, <laughs> I'm from Morgan I'm lucky <laughs> to speak English at all there, there's a lot of that there's a lot of um just misinformation about what's going on. Uh, there's a lot of heads in the sand today, and that's I. I think one of the. Do you big- think parents are afraid? Like because sometimes technology and these things, they, they we don't have a template for it. Like a totally. lot of, uh, you know, some of us. I'm 50. I turned 50. Casey's almost 50, mm-hmm. and uh, so we're pretty old. Uh, some people of our generation embraced technology really early on. Like we had Apple computers in my school growing up but i didn't know how to use them we didn't really have computer classes but some of so some adults who are raising kids now are really good at technology mm-hmm. and then it's this weird split that the then there's this other group of us that were just kind of like eh, i don't know about that sure nintendo's fine but yeah. i don't know about the real internet stuff and only use it if they have to and i think those parents feel very disconnected and maybe even a little um embarrassed that they don't know how to understand that technology. Well, I think all parents are afraid because the the sad reality is that generation, the same generation of my parents, they didn't grow up the whole time with technology. I, I've never known a day or an age that isn't the digital era. And so I will always be better than any adult at technology. And my generation... You've seen it. You've seen the the seven year old at the restaurant who is navigating Four or five year olds yeah, on iPads, and they're like, navigating that yeah. thing like it's it's the back of their hand. That like it's it's crazy, and I think that's why parents are parenting out of fear today. Yeah, and, I, I agree one hundred percent. Like my kids can fix anything on a computer or download anything. They can't flush a toilet, but they know how to do anything electronic. They and if if I can't figure it out, I hand it to my 10-year-old son. He goes, "Here you go, dad." And then yeah. it's back and it's working. Yeah. It's it's amazing. So how do you address that with with the adults in the room? Cuz like you said, you do parent nights. Do they have questions about that or do you have to kind of go after them and teach them what they need to know? They have tons of questions. Um what I've realized is that like I said a lot of a lot of parents their heads are in the sand. They're not they're they're not willing to even look at what's happening because of this this new wave of technology. You know, we've we've talked about bullying and and how that's just intensified. How now kids are taking their bullies home in their pocket because their bullies are are, are bullying them over Instagram or Snapchat or anything like this. There's there's a lot of questions once they're willing to open up. So at these parent nights, I I share my story with the parents. I share all of this stuff, and then I'm like, all right, you know. We are today, right now, I'm not just going to leave you with an inspirational message. We are going to fix your homes. And so I walked them through everything that we changed in my house when I came out about not only my mental health struggles, but my my addiction and everything like that. I came out about everything. And so now we help those parents. Like, how can we set up things so that you have an open communication with, with your kids? You know, we talked about 
Drake. I, Drake. I remember when your story came out a year ago and you were on this podcast. You said your parents thought they did the responsible thing mm-hmm. and they thought they put in safeguards to keep pornography out of your house. And if I remember correctly, you said it took me five minutes to figure it, figure out a hack around that. I mm-hmm. think he said three. Yeah, I maybe remember it was three. three. But you said, I mean, it was it's as simple as that. So, and that's another thing about technology is the parents think they're doing the right thing. They got the they got the secure passwords and all this other stuff. But kids can make their Nintendo Switch into a computer. They can turn their phone into a computer. They can turn their laptop. I mean, it's all accessible right there. And they've figured out a way to get around it already. So if you don't have that open line of communication, that trust, if you will, that, hey, let's have this serious conversation of what's out there, how are you going to protect them? Yeah. And that's a, that's a huge thing. You have to open up you have to open up that communication. If there's two things that you can fix as a parent today, it's to open up communication. And I think the best way to do that is to create a safe place in your home specified so that if your kids and come if your kids come to you and talk to you in that place, they can say, Hey, can we go to the no trouble bubble? That's what we call it in my house. The no and trouble bubble. You go to that you go to that area and they're gonna tell you what they have to tell you, and they know that your response is going to be an eight-second hug, you telling them that you love them, and asking how you can support them in becoming the best version of themselves, how you can support them. If you can do that today, open up that communication, and then have a test trial where you know your kid's kind of like dipping their foot in the water, you know, let's see if this works, and they're going to come to you, and if you react that way, a hug, tell them you love them, how you can support them. That's going to open up communication. Now they trust you. And of course, wait a second. There's no punishment involved. But there is. Don't we need punishment? Yeah. Consequence is natural. I'm being snarky. And I actually am with you 100%. -hmm. I think parents need to drop the idea of always going for punishment as if that fixes things. Because I think punishment often shuts people down and does the opposite of what you're trying to accomplish with creating this safe zone, this no trouble bubble. It creates a secret. Uh, I don't want to tell you because I don't want to get in trouble. Trouble. I love the idea of problem solving first, right? Yeah. So go ahead. Sorry. Well, yeah, and I just wanted to say, like, of course, consequences happen. They're a natural but part of natural, life. But they're natural, right? Like, yeah. there could be natural consequences. And so what I always tell these parents is have that safe space. When they come to you, tell them that. Go to bed. Let everybody just sleep on it. If they're struggling with something, they're they're tired, they're exhausted, tell them that you love them, support them. And then the next day, you can figure out consequences that gives you time to think and like think rationally. So I think that's huge. That's wonderful. I, I love that. We're going to find out more from Smith in just a few seconds. You're listening to Project Recovery right here on KSL. Welcome back to Project Recovery. I'm Casey Scott. That's Dr. Matt Woolley. Our guest today is Smith Alley. And the name of your foundation is? The Live Life Bigger Foundation. And what is the foundation all about? We are all about realizing that my generation, everybody on this earth is is broken a little bit, and how can we how can we better that? How can we spread more love? How can we be vulnerable with our secrets? Because if we keep those secrets, they make us sick. Well, let's go to our clinical psychologist. What do you think that we could be doing better as a community? Well, first, I'm going to throw out a suggestion, and I just want you to think about it. Okay, I have a little you you un, unwittingly uh, brought up one of my pet peeves. That's okay. It's okay. So I, now I get to talk about it. And that is broken versus underdeveloped. Mm-hmm. Talked about it on the show before. And it's okay. I understand when we, when we catch ourselves in habits that are harmful, like substance abuse, pornography, even if we realize maybe we've bullied someone, those sorts of things, we do feel broken. And I get that feeling. But I love the language of saying underdeveloped 
I haven't developed the skills yet to be healthy and successful in a particular area of my life. So, mm-hmm. so there's like a free that. foundational something to think about at Live Life Bigger. Maybe we start talking about it that way. But here's what I, I, I think. What can we do differently? First, I, we have Allie. We have Scott Allie here. Scott <laughs> Smith. Smith Scott Alley. Yeah. His middle name is John now. Jacob. John Jingle, Jacob. Jingleheimer Jingle Smith. Smith. His name is my name too. Yeah. So Smith, I want to ask you this. So you have done over the last couple of years a tremendous amount of work with your foundation, lots of visiting schools. People may not even realize that uh, you have a side uh, business where you can come in and set up a person's home. Like if parents are like, please just come to our house, look at our computers, tell us what to do. You can come in and do all of that. Mm-hmm. But I want you to speak just as a high school student for a minute. Now you you are leaving high school. You've had all 12 years in school. I wonder what have you seen in your experience in the realm of social isolation, bullying, like what are what are you seeing in schools, either when you visit a school or just your own experience with your own friends, uh, classmates? Like like what's happening that you're concerned about with kids that are your age? Yeah, um, I think I think one of the biggest problems is that we're just becoming our own bullies, and so you know we talked about this. It's different the the way that you guys were were bullied. You guys were beat up on the playground and given wedgies and swirlies in the toilet. I all, forgot about all, all of that stuff. It's not like that anymore. It's so subtle. It's really bullying today is planting a seed of doubt that you are not enough and something that makes you feel broken, even though you're just underdeveloped, right? But you, you're you so underdeveloped that you don't have the self-confidence and the identity strength yet to, to realize those things aren't true about you. Right? You think about it, how many times, and I've had my daughters come to me and say something, and to them, it's the biggest thing that ever happened to them. I mean, this is sure. rocking their world. And as a parent, I sit down and go, I get that. But listen, don't put too much thought into it because in the big scheme of things, this isn't really that big. But in reality, to them, it's everything. I was going to say, but that that is the big scheme of things when you're 15, 16, right, yeah. at, right Smith? Yeah, and- that's that's the biggest thing is it's just the seed of doubt. It's such subtle bullying over social media. And by the way, kids will say anything. You know, if you guys are upset at a restaurant because you didn't get your food, you won't a hundred percent of the time go and tell the go and tell the waiter. I would never even yeah. do. And no. but these kids hide behind their screen. These bullies hide behind their screen. And by the way, everybody has has probably been a bully at some point in their life because you get to hide behind a screen hide behind social media and say something that you would never look somebody in the eyes and say. Um, it's protected, right? Exactly. Like, like you can be unfiltered because you, you don't have to face them in, in real life. Yeah. And so that that sense, you you can easily plant that seed of doubt. And then, like I said, there's so many pressures. We talked about earlier this transitional phase of there's three phases going into first grade, going into junior high, and then leaving high school. And there's a lot of doubt in those. And especially when you're going through those phases, Drake just went into seventh grade. He was going into middle school. He was in one of those I, insecure times. I was the same way when when I made my plan for, for suicide. We just lost a kid named Jared in Woods Cross. And he was leaving. It was his senior year. 
And when you can plant that seed of doubt, there's all of these pressures about what are you going to do next? There's this next phase of life. There's social media and everybody's lives on social media looks perfect, even though it's not. But it looks that way and we see and we have all of these pressures and we just become the biggest critic of, our, of ourselves. And it never stops. Even today, I wake up and I have this foundation that I love and I love to get to work on that and my company and I have an amazing family and I have good friends. And yet I still think to myself, I'm not doing enough. I'm not growing as much as this person is growing. And I, I bully myself like that. And so how do we expect a kid who's, you know, we talked about Izzy, who was 10 years old, someone who's 10, 12 years old to be able to take that out of con to like take that out and look at it from a different perspective to look at it at, you know, in three years, this won't be a big deal. But in that moment, it's everything to them because they feel the world's eyes looking at them to make the right decision. How are they supposed to, to, to hold that on their shoulders? And then they come home and the bully, the bully doesn't stay at school. The bully's in their pocket and the bully and parents don't talk about those things. Parents don't connect with those things. We're so disconnected and parents have their head in the sand. And so these kids have nowhere to go with their burdens. One thing that just to build on what you're saying that I've had teenagers, unfortunately, more and more frequently over the last few years tell me is when when they get bullied uh, on social media in some form, then when they show up to school the next day, they wonder if everyone knows. Yeah, because potentially everyone might know. Right. They don't know who has who that has been spread to. If if Casey, if you were bullied after school it was just the kids that were around that knew, and they might tell a few people. But in this case, you can have kids from other schools know. Everybody's interconnected now. And, you know, it only takes one kid with a big Instagram uh, uh, page to spread rumors about one per- And then the whole school. So people, I have kids coming into me, parents saying, I can't get my son or daughter to go to school. And it turns out it's because this bullying incident, they're they're petrified and paranoid thinking everybody might feel the same way about them. So I can't even imagine that walking into a school with hundreds or thousands of kids and wonder who thinks this negative thing about me. And you think about it. I mean, Smith has talked a lot about Facebook and Instagram, and those are the, probably the two major ones, but Snapchat, 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 you can send a private message and it's gone. You know what I mean? There's no record of it. It's not one of those things where a lot of people could have seen. You can send it to a direct person, and and, and then it's gone. Yeah, mm-hmm. but we don't know who they sent it to. Yeah, you, right? I mean, it's it, 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 it's a maddening world trying to comprehend all of that that's going on right now. And then you talk about that, a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old processing that kind of information. And as a parent, our only response is, don't worry about it. In the big scheme of things, it's not that big a deal. Well, trust me, it is that big a deal. But unfortunately, some kids don't get to that bigger scheme of things if they consider uh, suicide. Yeah. You're listening to Project Recovery. More with Smith Alley in just a few seconds. Hey, welcome back to Project Recovery. I'm Casey Scott. That's Dr. Matt Woolley. He's a clinical psychologist. Our guest today is Smith Alley. Uh, Dr. Matt, you were saying something off air about the different kinds of bullying. Uh, when we were con- kids, it was mostly uh, aggression-based bullying, right? Like physical. Well, there was a gender difference. So I really like what Smith is talking about, and I think this makes sense in light of what he's talking about, that being your own worst bully. Mm-hmm. So – when we were coming up before the digital era, 
there were, were uh, boys were often physically aggressive. Mm-hmm. That was the bullying that happened there. You know, you want the swing, so you push the kid off of it or whatever it is. Uh, girls were more sophisticated and they were more likely to engage in social bullying. So there's a kid on the swing set. You want the swing. So you talk to the girl next to her and you say, um, you can come to my birthday party. And you look at the girl who's on the swing and you walk away. And that girl's sitting there going, well, I don't get invited, I guess. You know, so that's social bullying. Okay. And it was, again, just physical bullying and social bullying was sort of limited to just face-to-face interactions for the most part, right? Um, nowadays, schools have done such a good job in eliminating physical bullying for the most part with all the measures that they take that everyone has shifted over <laughs> to social bullying. Unfortunately, bullying hasn't gone away. It has, it has changed its face. And now it's not just face-to-face social bullying, but it's it's uh, digital media social bullying. So with social media, uh, and you mentioned um, Snapchat, Snapchat, and things like that. Any any platform to be able to to message somebody can become now this this social bullying platform. And the problem with it is it's different than, again, if you got pushed off the swing, you hit your head, you cry, you feel bad, and it heals up, and you know maybe you steer clear of that kid for a while, right? But with social bullying, it makes you doubt yourself deep inside. Mm-hmm. You think, well, why didn't I get invited, or why did they say those mean things about me? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with the totally. clothes I wear, the things I say, the things I like? I must not be good enough. And that is a seed that long after the the Snapchat has been disappeared that stays inside the person even as an adult it's hard to deal with that but try to go back in your mind and remember what it was like to be a kid who was for the first time in your life trying to figure out who am i what am i like do people like me am i cool am i interesting and a lot of that comes from the feedback you get and that that seed that gets planted is what's so devastating. That's the sort of thing that encourages feelings of self-doubt, hopelessness, depression, and even considering something like suicide. And I, I, you know, it makes me sad and emotional to think about all the kids, including kids like Drake and all of the others who are dealing with the growing seed inside of them. That's what we need to do a better job of is understanding how that process works, seeing it happen and reaching out and supporting them. And that's why, you know, I'm excited today to have Smith on the show because he's actually in there on the front lines. He is uh, an 18-year-old senior, and uh, I appreciate your thoughts. Yeah, I and totally, like, I agree with everything just said. I think one of the, one of the other important things today is that parents try to, to fix. Like, all they do is fix. Their, their kids are getting bullied. That parent's going to march down to the principal's office and get it taken care of, right? We try so hard to fix instead of just feeling empathetic, saying, oh, I'm sorry, that sucks. I'm sure that hurts your feelings. But I love you and reinforcing that love, and we don't do that today. And the second thing is, is like we talked about head in the sand. So many parents today are handing their kids a device with untethered access to the Internet a device where they get to set up their own age restrictions. So now we have 12-year-old kids downloading apps that are rated 17 plus on, on iTunes. And then they don't know at all what's going on in those apps. And those kids are on their phones at 4 in the morning watching TikTok or, or Snapchatting people. And you can't control that. That's not a controlled environment. 
And so the other big thing today is parents, if you can, if you can get a grasp on, on the technology in your house, and of course that's a big, you know, I'm sure my contact, it's a big ask, it's, it's a, a big, big ask and it's a big process, but if you need help, of course, like I'm, I'm a great resource to, to help do that. Um, so yeah, that, that's just another big thing that I think. You know, and, and I think it needs to start at home. I, I think as parents, we need to sit down and talk about bullying with our kids and see if things are going on. Uh, you know, Drake was talking about, you know, he didn't want to alarm his family. He didn't mm-hmm. want to talk to his, his siblings and tell them that this was happening and because he didn't feel safe or he didn't want them to worry. Whatever well, sometimes the reasons you are. Feel, you feel weak and ashamed yeah. that you're the target. So we need to sit down with our kids and tell them that bullying is not acceptable, that it's not a, it's just not an option. And if you're getting bullied, you need to come and talk to me in the safe bubble. We need to figure out a way to do this. You know, you said something like that. And when I was in my active addiction, my ex-wife would try to fix me. And, and, and God bless her. She, she was doing her best. But sometimes I just go, I just want you to hear me. I just want you to hear me. I don't, I don't want you to t- fix it because I, I don't know if you can. I just, I just want you to hear me. And from a, from a, a kid's point point of view, one of the other things that they'll sometimes talk to me and not reveal it yet to their parents uh, that they are being bullied is because they don't want their parents to overreact. They don't want their parents to have this huge show of force and march into the school and go confront the parents of the kid that's being the bully. Because then everybody hears about that too. And that doesn't make it better. No, it doesn't. So I I really like what Smith has brought up today and, and kind of what you were just talking about, and that is... It is very powerful as a parent to be a good listener, to show empathy, and ask your child how you can support them. Even if you never go into the school, and there may be reasons why and how to go into the school for sure, Uh, even if you never confront the other family that's bullying your child, you have insulated your child tremendously from the idea that I'm alone, life is hopeless, and maybe suicide is a good answer for me just by creating a safe space where they can talk to you about it. Even just that. And and people really undervalue the power of connection and empathy. And that right there may not completely solve a bullying situation, but it might solve your child's depression that leads to hopelessness that might lead to suicide. And Smith, this will lead us to our next point is that you're doing something that's kind of huge up in the Davis Weber County and all bringing uh, awareness to suicide prevention. Yeah, this is this is important to me with my story and seeing these kids continue to suffer, seeing these kids continue to pass away. It's tragic for me. So my foundation, the Live Life Bigger Foundation, is putting on a a mental health awareness and suicide prevention concert. We're going to have a fun time. We're still solidifying the performers, but we're going to have not only a great time with great music, great food, but we're also bringing in resources of of pr- mental health professionals so that people can come and get help, get their family and their friends help. Um, and this is going to be a huge event. It's at the D Event Center. We'll have 8,000 people there. Uh, if you want more information, you can go to www.livelifebigger.org to find out more. Um, when, when is it? It's going to be June 11th, June 11th at the D Event Center. And the other thing is we're looking for for businesses to help sponsor this event. So if you own or work for a company that would be interested in that, you can contact me either at that website or on Instagram at live.life.bigger. And the, the last thing that I want to say is just to anybody out there struggling um, and, and contemplating, thinking about suicide, that there is light, um, that there is light at the end of the tunnel and that... 
oftentimes there are rainy days, but you can't just, you can't believe that every day will be rainy, that the, the clouds will pass and the sun will shine again. And if you need help, help is available at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. And there's a lot of great apps out there. There's the Safe Utah app, Safe UT app. You can download that. You can talk to the crisis management team instantaneously. Uh, you can open up lines of communication. Huntsman Mental Health Institute, if you want to look for a local crisis line, is 801-587-3000. And you can speak to a mental health crisis worker 24 hours a day. And a parent's, parents, that, that line's available to you just as is the suicide prevention hotline, the national one, where if you're a parent and you are worried that your child is depressed and suicidal, you can call and get resources uh, to help you as a parent. The only thing we cannot do is do nothing. We can't keep doing what we're doing. We've got to do it better. And our kids deserve better. We deserve better. We need more empathy. We need more love. We need more compassion. And it all starts at home. I really believe it all starts at home. It starts with an open dialogue. I love I love the, uh, what's the bubble? Trouble bubble. The no the tr- trouble the bubble. The no trouble bubble. The no trouble. I think probably growing up in my house, it was the trouble bubble. <laughs> uh, but like, you know, it's the no trouble bubble. I love the idea of just opening up safe uh, supportive communication within your family because I agree, Casey, it does start at home. So, Smith, what can Casey and I do to help for June 11th? Get the word out. We need as many. This this event is to help people, is to help people that are struggling and to help people who love somebody that's struggling. So we need people there. Um, so spread the word. We're going to have tickets online soon um, available, and we need we need businesses to come together and help in the community. Casey um, knows all the business Casey, people. Yep. Casey has the networking. We already talked about that. We'll figure it out. Thank you for stopping by Thank and sharing you. your story. I'm really amazed with all the things you're doing at a young age. I can't wait to see where this life takes you. You're an inspiration to so many. Uh, I'm Casey Scott. That's Dr. Matt Woolley. Our podcast is Project Reco- Recovery. It's brought to you by our friends at knowyourscript.org. We love you. We mean it. Take care. Be good. of this program are for informational purposes only. The program is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician, licensed therapist, or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you've heard on this program. KSL does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on the program. Reliance on any information provided on the program is solely at your own risk. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.